Hey there, ADHD Rewired listeners. Two quick announcements. We are in the beginning stages of developing a new offering, ADHD Rewired Tech Mini Courses and Workshops. We have a three-minute survey that's on the website right now, and the link will be also in the show notes. Tell us what you'd like to learn about, and you can win free coaching, a $50 gift card to Amazon or your preferred app store, or a productivity mystery box. Also, adult study halls are just part of the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group, and you can experience it for yourself free August 8th and August 15th at 12.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information, go to ADHDrewired.com. A lot of a lot of my perception of medication came from myself uh, and how I felt. Um, but some of that was initially stimulated by how I was treated by others. You know, when you go to the school nurse every day after lunch, people find out, oh, he's taking pills. Oh, he's hyper. You know, that's what it was back then. You know, oh, he's hyper. Um, I was a basket case, you know, and then, you know, other parents find out, their kids find out, and then, you know, you can get singled out. And so I, I associated the way that I was treated um, with how I was um, viewed f- when I took my medication. ADHD Rewired, episode 127. This is the show designed to help those of us who have really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and consultant. We know that starting can be the hardest part, so let's get started. But first, let me thank our sponsors. Support for this podcast comes from the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. Want to get better at planning, prioritizing, time management? Tired of feeling overwhelmed? Sick of feeling judged by people who just don't get it? The ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group is the trusted leader in online video-based group coaching. Fall sessions begin September 12th. We meet Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and we have two sections, one at 10.30 a.m. and the other at 12.30 p.m. Central Times. But mark your calendars and set a few reminders. This registration period is only eight days long, and it all begins August 22nd. You can schedule it now at ADHDrewired.com. Reserve your spot for registration. Go to ADHDrewired.com and prepare to get your ADHD rewired. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. My guest today is Andrew Wilcox. Andrew is the creator of Eat, Live, Dream ADD. It's a blog about his experiences living with ADHD. It explores topics such as routine, exercise, running, health and wellness, motivation, fear, acceptance, self-loathing, sex, emotions, adult tantrums, relationships, and parenting. Andrew is married. He's a father of three and is the only person living in his home who has ADHD. He was diagnosed at age five and took Ritalin on and off for most of his life until he was 28 when he had the idea that he would use coffee and exercise and routine to regulate his ADHD. 
Andrew, welcome to ADHD Rewired. Hello, everybody. Did I get your intro right? Yeah. All right. So I do want to talk with you about your relationship with uh, with medication um, and why you're currently not using medication. But first, I actually want to talk a little bit about your blog. Now, you're currently um, writing a series called The, the Wellness Wagon. <laughs> yeah. Well, talk, talk a little bit about that. And I, I do want to say this too. I know that you've been a blogger for a long time and, uh, I know that, that Tom Nardone's a big fan of your blog and I don't read a lot of blogs. And so the, when I was preparing for this interview, uh, which my preparation started about an hour before we hit record, um, I was reading through it and it's like, you know, I could actually read this blog. It was, I thought it was really, it was good. It was very poignant. It had some humor in it. It was very, uh, kind of, um, uh, t- give a really honest look at a lot of things that you're going through and your perspective on it. Um, so I just want to let you know that I, that as someone who's not a big blog reader, I actually enjoyed reading through it. So talk Thanks. to us a little bit about the wellness wagon. <laughs> the wellness wagon uh, started as um, my idea actually to, to start a Facebook group for like my immediate friends um, who were wanting to, become a healthier individual mm-hmm. uh, to kind of bring us all together. Cause they're in the same boat that I'm in and allow us to encourage each other. And I thought, you know, this is a, a huge part of, you know, how I deal with, you know, my ADHD and, and just life in general, I should include it in the blog. And if I commit to like a weekly entry, maybe it'll be easier for me to stay on top of staying on top of <laughs> getting healthy. So for, for you, it was kind of a, uh, it's a form of accountability. Exactly. Okay. And, uh, and we definitely know the power of accountability. So right now we're, we are recording this on July 19th and you had a, a post a few days ago uh, that you are three weeks cigarette free. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't even realize you smoked Andrew. Cause I know that you're a runner. And when I saw that you're, you're three weeks cigarette free, I was like, really? You're a runner and you smoke? <laughs> yeah, it's a conundrum. Um, I don't, I, I haven't really considered myself to be a smoker for years. Um, I, I think in the last, I'd say in the last 10 years, I've probably bought five packs of cigarettes. Like okay. I'm not, I'm not a, a regular smoker, but what, what's happened is because I never really take the fact that I have a cigarette from time to time seriously. Mm-hmm. I've often gotten into a situation where I find myself smoking socially, you know, bumming cigarettes off of friends and coworkers where it gets like, I'll have one, um, on, you know, a stressful situation or just socializing with a, a coworker. And then, uh, you know, and then I notice, you know, I'll have one with them the next day and then it becomes a daily thing. And then three weeks later, I'm having like three cigarettes a day. And it's like, whoa, whoa. When did that it, happen? Right. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I was talking to my doctor a while back and I'm like, you know, I smoke sometimes. And he was like, well, I mean, nicotine will get its hooks in you and will never let go. Like, and, and I was talking to a, one of the coworkers that I smoke with. Um, every once in a while, a few weeks ago. And I was saying, you know, I really should quit, right? Like all the people out there who who smoke like a pack a day and yeah. just wish to God they could just stop. And here I am 
like in their face, like having a cigarette or two here or there, and then I'll go weeks on end without one. Like, why do I even bother? Like, I need to actually commit to it, and it's it's not good for me. Like, it's just stupid for me to keep doing it. As a uh, a, I refer to myself as a smoker in recovery. It's been I think I don't know eleven or twelve years since I've touched any tobacco product. Um, I won't even smoke like a cigar or a hookah or something like that. Um, even even like when my when my son is born, um, you know, and and I still to this day occasionally will have that. Ooh, I'd like to have a cigarette, and yeah, and I know for me it's like I I even though I want that cigarette every once in a while. Um, I don't want to be a smoker and I cannot have both. I am the person that if I have one cigarette, I am going to the store the next day and buying a pack and I'll probably smoke that entire pack. Right. Cause that's, cause I quit many times. I started when I was, I don't know, probably like 13 or 14. Um, so yeah, yeah, I was, um, I was, uh, I was ahead of my time. Um, so yeah, quitting was, was hard. Staying quit was even harder. Um, so definitely like when you're, you know, a couple months out, you're still in the beginning phases of it. Um, I mean, I would say it was for me a good eight to 10, uh, months before it like was not an obsessive thought all the time. Yeah. I, uh, I used to smoke, I started when I was 18 and I, I would, by the time I was 20, I was smoking two packs a day. And, uh, then I stopped when my oldest daughter was born. Um, that was 13 years ago. It's a good reason to stop. And I said, you know, I'm not going to be a parent who smokes. Um, and that's kind of when I stopped considering myself to be a smoker. Mm-hmm. And now looking back, like, I'm just ki- I was just kidding myself. You know, I just, I had convinced myself that because I could go, like at one point I went an entire year without a single cigarette. And probably, I wasn't even counting the days. It's probably, you know, a little more, a little yet less, but basically a year. Uh, without having any cigarettes and then I went and 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 had some with some friends and ended up starting up again and like I think that's how it happens so that long that I just said well I'm not a smoker I mean I had years without having a cigarette I'm fine you know and it's it's probably really just not true you know and there's there's um researchers right now are actually looking at um some of the, the nicotine receptors in our brain as potential um, uh, therapeutic areas for treating ADHD because um, they, they do see that that the brain and how it um, um, sort of takes in nicotine actually has some benefit for ADHD, except the only problem with cigarettes is that, you know, it might benefit your ADHD, but it'll give you cancer and kill you in the meantime. So like not a, a, uh, a kind of a, a trade that we want to be making. So they're yeah. looking at how do we extract what's helpful and only kind of create that so it's it's interesting to to know that that um they, they have found that smokers do report a symptom reduction uh with, with adhd um just you know side effects cancer and death right There's so it's more effects when you think about it like when you're thinking about treating something i got this from robin williams when you're thinking about treating something like a cough and it's like oh symptoms include diarrhea cancer possible death like i'd rather have you know the cough Right. I don't have the ADHD. I'm, I'm good. Right. Right. So, all right. Now, how do you now, Andrew? I am 35. You were 35. So when you were, you said 20, uh, 28, you stopped taking medication. Yeah. Now, was that the first time you stopped taking medication? Nope. No. 
When was the so you started it when you were age five? And there was a, a really funny you had a blog entry um, about you went to the uh, museum or something with uh, your grandma who's you went to SeaWorld with, with your grandma and you referred to her as like the uh, school of rock um, uh, mentality kind of grandma. I was like, you know, this ADHD isn't real and I'll, you know, just give me some, some discipline and, and he'll, and he'll be fine. And, um, you, you kind of wore grandma out, huh? I wore grandma out. Um, she broke a wooden spoon over my ass and I kept going. Um, we went to SeaWorld that one day and she had decided and keep in mind, she was hardcore as far as discipline, but she wasn't hardcore as far as physical ability. She mm-hmm. walked she really kind of more hobbled than walked she was um so it was very easy for her to for me to stay away from her if i needed to mm-hmm. so we go to sea world one day and she decides after being there for like two or three hours that okay it's time to go we gotta go home and eat lunch because grandma doesn't want to you know pay for food at sea world and i decided that that was the perfect time to run away and never deal with my grandma again so after that, um, you know, obviously I did go back and we made it home and my parents kind of picked me up. And that was the point, if I'm not mistaken, just from what I've been told, because I was pretty young. That was a point in my childhood where my grandmother admitted to my parents that there might just actually be something to this whole ADHD thing. And the thing of it was, I was already medicated mm-hmm. at that time and she refused to give me my medication. He doesn't need medication. He just needs a swift kick in the ass. And she gave me my medication always after that religiously wow so so you grew up with this so was the message that um like so what was the, your sort of the, the messaging that you received around medication um it was kind of mixed um a lot of a lot of my perception of medication came from myself um, mm-hmm. and how i felt um, but some of that was initially stimulated by how I was treated by others. You know, when you go to the school nurse every day after lunch, people find out, oh, he's taking pills. Oh, he's hyper. You know, that's what it was back then. You know, oh, he's hyper. Um, I was a basket case, you know, and then, you know, other parents find out, their kids find out, and then, you know, you can get singled out. And so I, I associated the way that I was treated um, with how I was um viewed when i took my medication i think i'm saying that right so like they they established like my peers mm-hmm. like i say my peers now let me ask you this do you think because because i i find with a lot of clients that i work with um my younger clients that they think that is happening or they think oh, they're, they're the kids in their class are, are thinking this but it's really just the story they're telling themselves and even if they do know you're going to the, the nurse to take medication they don't actually really care like um, at first, yeah, uh, but later, um, I'll tell you one story. Uh, I had a kid in, in one of my math classes in high school, and the teacher was super rude. And, and uh, to be honest, I was super rude too. Let's, let's you know, air that out. <laughs> but uh, there was something that she was explaining. It was geography, uh, which I didn't do terribly in, but I asked a lot of questions, and it got on her nerves, the teacher. And uh, one day, she just flat out, because I'm like, yeah, teacher, uh, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just not getting this. I, I don't understand. And she looked at me and she says, do you have some kind of learning disability or something? How are in you in front not- of the entire class? In front of the entire class. Oh, that's I said, horrifying. Oh. There's, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just not 
I'm not, you know, I'm not picking up what you're putting down. Can you like, you know, word it differently or something? And one of the other kids in my class says, don't lie, Andrew, you have a learning disability. You know, you have ADHD. I see you going to the, the school nurse every day, taking your Ritalin, you know, you're hyper and you can't learn. And I told him that, I think I told him to kindly shut the F up. Also, all of this is happening in front of the entire class. And then the teacher kicked me out of the class. Let me just sit out in the hall for the rest of the day. Uh, still get my homework done. Still passed the test. And I mean, it didn't really negatively affect me. Like, but emotionally, I was like, yeah. I was, she called me out in front of the entire mm. class. The girl that I liked was in that class. Like, it was just, it was a mess. So how have you made sense of that? Um, I mean, at this point, having, having read other people's blogs and having seen um, how other people have been treated and having met other people with ADHD who have been diagnosed and have lived the life, you know, um, I can look back and, and say, you know, those, those people were either mean or ignorant, um, could have could have maybe been a little better. Like that teacher could have mm -hmm. been educated a little more, mm -hmm. you know, the American Disabilities Act, <laughs> you know, but other stuff that, you know, different ways to approach something like that with a student. Um, I don't really hold it against her anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a grown ass man. Like I can't be holding grudges about things that happen in high school. <laughs> do, do you think that part of a Hawaii blog is um, to, to shit because it sounds like he hearing other people's stories has been so helpful to you that you want to also share your stories and perspectives? Yeah. Yeah. If, so to get back to the original question, the, you know, the perception that I got with ADHD and with medication, um, I had, I had made this connection that um, medication was bad mm -hmm. and that it's the main reason that other people knew that I had something wrong with me um, and judged me. And then, you know, beyond that, I saw it as a crutch. So I felt a, you know, a sense of hurt pride. Mm -hmm. When I was 17 years old, I decided to get off the medication and um, our doctor, you know, still living at home. My parents went to take me to the doctor and the doctor said, well, we can get you retested, but you're probably going to, I mean, you have ADHD. There's no doubt in my mind, you're going to you know, test positive or what have you. Sure. So, <laughs> so um, we could, if you want to try you know, going without it, just have you stop taking it. And they didn't wean me off or anything like that. They're just like, done. So you were taking it for uh, 12 years. years, 13 years, something like that. Yeah. Watch as we try to do math on the fly, like <laughs> all of a sudden done, not taking yeah. it anymore. And I, I felt like, you know, when I get into like that kind of blogging on that topic, I really do want people to understand that it's medication is not bad. Mm -hmm. Wanting to be off medication is not bad. Um, but there's definitely a bad way to go out about doing it. Um, and that was my, my first experience. My second experience, obviously, cause I'm still, you know, Ritalin free, if you will, um, was much more successful. So it's interesting. Cause I know that when, when we, uh, when we spoke about a month or so ago, um, you said that one of the reasons that you, you don't take meds is you sort of resented it growing up. Yeah. So um, I think I think there's a whole kind of psychology to psychiatry and how we think about medication. So it's sort of like I wanted to sort of talk a little bit more about that with you because I thought that was sort of an interesting. Um, uh, it's an interesting conversation to have because I think it's it's one that 
that a lot of people sort of struggle with of like, what does it mean if I have to take this medication? You know, you, you use the phrase that it's sort of a crutch, right? And I like to think about it as, well, if I got a broken leg, damn, give me some crutches so I can, you know, get through the world, right? Versus me hobbling along and falling down. Somebody used that, that reference with me once and said, well, you know, if you had a broken leg, you would, you would want a crutch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my response was something along the lines of, I'm a, I'm a runner. So if, if I have a broken leg, I, I want to use that crutch for as short a time as possible and then get back to running. Um, and that's kind of the mentality I have with, with everything. Like if, there's, if I have a setback, mm-hmm. um, I, don't, I don't always get past it as quickly as I would like to, mm-hmm. but I always want to get past it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And to me, depending on Ritalin, which it's not, not medication necessarily in general, but Ritalin specifically is the worst tasting substance I've ever put in my mouth. That didn't help. Well, you're you not know? supposed to chew it, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> it's not candy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just everything about it from the, you know, the psychological aspect to even just the way it tasted and felt was just wrong for me. Mm-hmm. I forgot where else I was going with that. <laughs> you were looking down and I was like, wait, are you, are you on like the phone? Are you, are you sending a text message? Cause we actually had this conversation right before we hit record uh, about that. And I was reminding you to silence your phone. I was like, what, what is he doing? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I pick up my fingernails and I get nervous or when I get forgetful. So I'm just looking down at my, my nails. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I'm, I'm, you know, what's really weird. Speaking of tangents and things that aren't related to our conversation. Um, is that, you know, so I've, I've been a fingernail picker my entire life and just about three or four weeks ago, it just like stopped. I wasn't even trying to, it's like, it's been the weirdest thing. Like, I don't know what an urge related thing. Like, um, I do think like, I fidget, like you can see like right now I'm like rubbing my thumbs. I do the, it, the way you're doing it. This is I do this exact same thing. It's you have to. You have to cover the entire joint of the thumb. Like I can't just do part of my thumb because then it like, drives me crazy. Like I can feel like the residual and it's not entirely covering my thumbs. So now I, like, I have to finish it. And if I don't right away, it's like, oh, <laughs> I, my- Andrew, I can very much relate uh, to that. And, you know, it's like it's it's a thing that's interesting and funny. And I get sort of curious about it because it's like. These are the the non-harmful neuroses that I think we sort of yeah. tend to have. It's like, oh, you do that too? You know, yeah. and it's like the in the the way in which you do it is so almost identical. It's like, huh, not interesting. Yeah, Tom had a guy on his podcast once who defined it as one of his manager at work or something. Um, it's like tactile sensitivity mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. He was talking about like certain like touching certain things and like my thoughts immediately went to hands on carpet. Um, like I have extremely sensitive hands and fingers. So like if, if I used to touch carpet or like if, uh, if I pet a dog with like coarse hair, mm-hmm. it drives like my nerves, like going to overload. And I, I, have, like, I have certain things like that. Too. I have that. I have that. <laughs> that guy, I have that. The, the sound of, uh, of a broom sweeping on concrete to me, like even really? just thinking about that, it's like, it makes me cringe. Oh yeah, I I got I got some things. Don't we all? So all right, so and you're on seventeen. You stop taking medication, and then how? What happened? 
And I stopped taking medication um, shortly thereafter. I also stopped running. Um, so definitely everything that I had going for me as far as what could be um, helping me manage my symptoms was gone. Um, fell in love with a girl, moved out. Um, you know, we got our own place. The relationship went completely to crap. Um, probably quite a bit of that was because of me and my, my lack of knowledge on how to interact with others mm-hmm. socially. And then um, started partying. She moved out. A buddy of mine moved in. Um, I was working like three or four, depending on the time of the year, part-time jobs. Plenty of, I mean, I had a decent amount of income between all the jobs. Um, they were all part-time. So, I mean, I'd have full days off um, because, you know, they just happened to be my scheduled day off at all the jobs at the same time. And it would just party all day. I had menial jobs. I worked at UPS loading a truck. Um, I worked at Spencer Gifts you know, selling novelty items. So like, you know, I could do all the, the drugs and drinking and, you know, all that stuff that I wanted to and could still function fairly well. And, uh, you know, the lease came up and my buddy was like, you know, this isn't really a lifestyle becoming of you capable of so much more. Like he had to sit down like a one man intervention with me. Like this is the guy that was kind of my gateway to partying. And he sat me down. He's like, listen, man, um, we have a lot of fun together, but this, this is not what you're made for. Hmm. around the same time my dad said hey your lease should be coming up soon why don't you you know come home we'll get you back into school i'll pay for your classes and uh get you back on ritalin and you know you need to make a life for yourself you can't you know you need a job that gives you insurance and you know all that stuff i wasn't a parent yet but i mean later down the road it became you know you need to be able to provide for your family um so it's really the two of them that got me back home um with you know no rent um, and, and back on medication. And the second time around, um, and there's also a wrong way to get back on medication just real quick, not to get completely off tangent, but, um, don't just go straight back to the, um, to the dosage that you were rapidly removed from two years earlier. (laughs) Definitely just like you want to wean yourself off. You want to wean yourself back on, um, I didn't do that. So the first uh, three or four weeks was like permanent panic attack for me. And then eventually kind of settled down. Um, and I just want to confirm that uh, for, for listeners that Andrew's absolutely right about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people will say that too. And and you see a lot of it in, um, in like social groups, online, you know, groups, Facebook and, and whatnot, where people ask, you know, I've just started taking this medication and physically it, it's driving me bonkers. Mm-hmm. Is this normal? And my response is always the same. Like, ultimately, you need to talk to your doctor because, you know, physical symptoms can be serious. But at the same time, don't get it in your head that just because it's been a week or two weeks, it's it's not the, the pill for you. Um, it, your body just has to get used to it. And the more often you change medications trying to find the right right one the less likely you are to find it because you're not giving your body a chance to reset itself Mm -hmm. and become used to this new substance you're putting into it so it could be a long uh, and rough process finding medication the good news though about the stimulants is that you kind of know fairly quickly whether or not you had the right medication or dosage and and unlike the like the SSRIs that for anxiety or depression where it kind of takes a while to to know if you're on the right dosage or the right medication. Yeah, it's the dosage that's that typically the thing. So yeah. I mean start off, you know, five milligrams, ten milligrams, and then you know, work your way up. I went straight to twenty milligrams after breakfast, twenty milligrams after lunch, and ten milligrams after 
you know, in the evening. Yeah. The first week of no sleep. Yeah. <laughs> That's good for you, right? Yeah. Okay. So you, you got back on the medication. Now, I mean, you said that your dad wanted you to get back on medication. Like, were you resistant to that? Um, at that point, no. Okay. Um, I secretly, um, between us and, and all of the people listening now, <laughs> which is fine. Um, I don't think that I knew at that point that I could not sustain myself. Like I couldn't maintain on my own anymore. Like things had gotten bad enough for me that I wasn't holding down enough work to continue on the same path that I was going. And I knew that this was like a fork in the road for me. I could either um, close the lid on this downward spiral and never be able to climb out of it, or I could climb out of it right now and just be done with it. And so it was kind of one of those now or never, like I don't really have a place to live now after this lease is up. Mm -hmm. If one of the requirements for me to have free housing in this nice house that my dad owns is to take this medication, then I'll make it work for as long as I have to before I find another place. And um, I did that. And then I ended up changing jobs when Amelia was born to get more money to pay child support, um, which is a whole nother <laughs> blog topic. Um, the move changing parents, living with my dad to living with my mom uh, who were divorced at this point um, and stayed on the medication and it, it just kind of integrated itself, like became a part of my routine. Um, I'd take the medication. Um, I've, you know, I've taken it for a couple of decades now. So I have the routine finally down where I don't ever have to taste it. Um, so that was kind of taken away. Um, yeah. So it's, I, I never really wanted to keep taking it, but I just kind of, I, it was easier for me to accept it. You know, I was beyond my, my teenage rebellious years. I mm-hmm. guess part of it too. Um, I had more writing on my success. You know, I have a, a child now and, you know, I'm, I'm living with my parents with a kid, with a girl that I'm not with anymore. Like that's who wants to be in that situation. So I was motivated to do everything I possibly could. To that sounds fun. Self-sufficient. Yeah. Okay. So fast forward with us a little bit. So, so you um, kind of get yourself established. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, so you have, uh, and how many kids do you have now? I have three kids now. Okay. So I have two, I have one with my ex, two with my wife, um, still with my wife and all that's doing really well. So I count my blessings every day. I wake up and she hasn't beat me with a frying pan or something. And finally just, you know, completely lost or, or a wooden spoon. She hasn't talked to your grandma and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So it's been seven years or so since you've been on medication. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but yeah, it's going to be quickly. Does uh, has your wife ever said to you, "Do you want to consider medication again?" Or you know, it's funny. It, you know, I did this show with Jenny Friedman uh, a few weeks ago, and she asked, "You know, medication isn't bad." And she had read one of my blogs where I was having kind of a a breakdown, if you will. Mm-hmm. And she said, "You know, would you consider going back on medication as an option?" I said, I would never discount medication. I'm just, I don't think it's the thing for me right now. And, and, but it, it prompted me to ask Leanna, my wife, what she thought. Uh, and I said, no, honey, what would you think about me getting back on medication? Would you, would you be happier if I were medicated? And ultimately I think that's the right question to ask because my, 
my, one of my main purposes in life is making sure that I can maintain my wife's happiness, especially if I'm possibly the cause for any of her unhappiness, you know? And she said, no, no, I don't think I would. Um, and did she know you when you were medicated? Yes. She okay. met, we met while I was medicated. I was medicated um, when we got married. Uh, we had been married for two or three years before I decided I didn't want to be medicated anymore. So she married me. She married the medicated me. She had not yet met. Ooh, the you, you got lucky on that Campbell then. Cause, uh... Or she didn't one or the other. I don't know. But she said that, you know, you kind of got really weird sometimes when you were medicated. Like if I would be off on my timing, I would maybe be overstimulated mm-hmm. or I would be not stimulated enough, but either way is the same result. I would get really, really chatty. Hmm. Um, and I'd be going a mile a minute about everything under the sun and it would be impossible to get a word in edgewise. And um, she's like, it you know, it sounds to me like you may have been on too much. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Um, but it was, if I didn't take it at the right time. So I think that, and as many of us can attest, um, routine can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said, you know, it was, it was more annoying and it happened often enough that I was more annoying overall when I was medicated than, um, than not. And I think because part of that might be because, you know, comorbid, comorbid symptom of my ADHD is anxiety. Mm-hmm taking a stimulant isn't necessarily good for somebody who has anxiety. And I think that anxiety was what was maybe causing me to be super chatty. That's mm. mm. certainly interesting. Now, were you taking a uh, short acting? I'm not, like one of like the four hour. It was never really defined for me, you know, um, time release or, or short acting. I took, I took methylphenidate. Okay. Generic uh, Ritalin. And all I know is that I took 20 milligrams in the morning, 20 at lunch, and th- 10 yeah, I, I did that for so many years uh, with, with uh, uh, Adderall, and I was just so bad at remembering to take each each one. And I would, like, when I missed my dosage, I would get so stuck in neutral. Like, it was just, like, all systems shut down, and I was I tried just, like, Adderall. I tried Adderall at one point. Yeah. It was not legitimate dosage it was not illegitimately obtained <laughs> say that it happened in that couple of years that i was kind of doing a lot of stuff i shouldn't have been doing and uh it was definitely like a fast forward button and you know when that whole stint was over it, yeah i i could i can understand how that would happen because it was really like wow i just have nothing nothing in me right now what do i do okay <laughs> Yeah, so the, the extended release has been great for me. So when I was prescribed uh, the, the extended release when I was in college um, and tried it, it didn't really work for me, but it was the doctor who didn't prescribe it correctly. He was giving the same dosage uh, in the extended release as he was in the short acting. And it's basically, it's you know, for 10 milligrams of, of short acting, it's 20 milligrams of extended release. And he was giving me 10 and 10, so it's... That's why it wasn't working. So it was about maybe three years ago I started taking these tenured release, and I was like, "Oh man, this is so much better." Um, but I I have I recently saw something that came across uh, my Facebook, uh, I think from Shire, that they are working on a 16-hour Adderall, and I was like, "Woohoo!" 
<laughs> once in the morning and done. And that's it. Yeah, because I actually now take a, a short acting in the morning, and then um, about three and a half hours later, I'll take a extended release, and that's actually been better for me. But it's still like I'm still uh, times like forgetting to take it right at that right time that that extended release, and because um, it's definitely not, I'm not it's not making it through my day. All right, so you've used. Uh, you've used exercise as one of the ways that has helped you sort of uh, manage your, your ADHD and is certainly a great uh, way to, to manage our ADHD. Um, yeah. you, you've gone on and off though with your exercise routine, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's been more on thankfully lately and it's progressively getting better and better. Uh, but it, kind of a similar story to not smoking. Like mm-hmm. you, to the exercise and you exercise for a day and oh i'm gonna exercise two days this week and oh i exercise three days this week and i walked every day and blah 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 and then uh, you kind of get lazy on one day and then uh, the next day next time like maybe you just didn't get enough sleep and and then you start to just see excuses everywhere to not do it and then before you know it it's been a month yeah and you're starting over again so that's kind of yeah, so i saw you have a blog post uh I go, how many times do we have to get back on the damn bandwagon? <laughs> I absolutely yeah. love that because it's, it's totally true. You know, it's like, and I think if we can sort of step back from the self-judgment about that, and as we're to look at it as a, a, there's a, a positive spin to falling off the bandwagon is that when we step back on to it, you don't actually have to work out for an hour. Just start for 15 minutes. I was like, oh, okay, I can just do it for 15 minutes because I'm getting back into it. And I don't want to, you know, so if I was working out for an hour and I haven't done it in, in several weeks or, or longer, like I'm not going to be able to make it an hour, right? So it's like the idea of resuming something that you, you kind of fell off of. It's almost, I look at it as, oh, it's easy to get started because I'm saying I don't have to do it that long. I think what a lot of people also lose sight of is if you're not doing it to become competitive, once you reach like an ideal um, like comfort level with mm-hmm. how much you're exercising and, and your physio- physiology, uh, if you're overweight or you have health issues that you're working with, and that's part of the reason you exercise, like once you get to that point, you don't have to push yourself as hard. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's constructive, um, you know, improvement workout and running, and then there's maintenance. Um, and I was recently reading that in, um, once you hit that, once you're ready for that maintenance, you can run two days a week um, and put forth, you know, 50% effort and maintain the same physiology where before you were working at 80% effort three or four days a week to get to that level. Once you're at that level, you don't have to work so hard to stay there. Oh, interesting. I guess that makes sense. I didn't think about that though. So, but for my purposes, um, it's not just getting in shape, but also, maintaining my my chemicals you know Mm -hmm. Um, so it won't it won't stop and it won't be something that i can kind of ease off of but there'll be a point where i'm not pushing myself harder anymore Mm -hmm. but i still have to go three or four days a week to keep that constant release of you know dopamine and Mm -hmm. all that other stuff that wonderful concoction that creates a normal brain Normal brain. What what are, what are these things you speak of? Um, and, and I exercise for for my brain. I, that's what I always tell my clients, and I've shared on here. It's like my waistline certainly benefits, and I do have to sort of watch my weight because it. it, it I know I, I roller coaster. Uh, I go up and down, and just just this actual week, and I've actually been thinking about hmm, should I, should I share this on the podcast? Because a while while back, probably like I don't know, 
somewhere between episode 40 or 50, I had shared that I was sort of outing myself that like my, I got on the scale and I was like over 220. And I was like, I have to get this off because it's, it's way more than I, than I want to want to weigh. Um, and so I was um, kind of updating and updating for a while. And then I stopped updating people. So just so, if people, just so everyone knows, if I'm sharing something, then all of a sudden you stop hearing me talk about it. Send me a message or something because it's probably because I don't want to own it. Um, cause I had gotten back up to that weight again. Um, but now, so then I, over the last, um, at some point in the last year, I had got down to one, I think like 88. And I was like really happy. And I wanted to, I wanted to be between like 190, 195. Like that's where I felt really comfortable yeah. there. And um, just this past week, I got on the scale and I was 202 and a half. Ryan. I, like, oh, I want to stay away from that, that 200 pound, yep. you know? You and for, and for me, I step on the scale. I try to do it every day. And not because I'm like obsessive about it. It's the way I monitor myself. Because it's whenever I've That's sort of fallen idea. out of that, I, it, it, I don't get crazy like the weight going up and down each day. And it's just kind of like feedback for me. But what I was really sort of happy about is that it didn't take me very long to sort of like to, to reboot my sort of exercise routine because what I realized that I was getting less, like I was doing it less frequently and less intensity. You know, I was kind of sleeping in a little bit later each morning. So it's like, oh, I got out there for 18 minutes. I worked out today. It's, you know, and, and I always still think that something is better than nothing always. Right. Yeah. But I, but I could tell the difference. And so um, I got my, my elliptigo uh, fix. I, I talked to you about the, the elliptigo before. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you don't know what this is, go to elliptigo, I think, dot com. And it's just, it's basically, imagine an elliptical, but now morph it into a bike that yeah. actually goes on the road. Right. So that's what it is. So I, I had, I, I had to get it fixed. So I got it, I got it fixed. And my, uh, my wife said, hey, you know what? Cause she knows that I, that I get concerned when I'm, when I'm weighing too much and getting off my exercise routine, because she, she also sees that it affects my, just my brain and my ADHD. And so she totally gave me the permission over this past weekend, Saturday and Sunday, to go out and, and have a good workout, which is awesome. And uh, so I'm now on four days in a row. The last three days, I was over an hour. And what was awesome about it is I was reminded that I do great when I'm venturing somewhere new because it allows me to like, ooh, what's what's around that corner? Ooh, what's around that corner? It's, it's yeah. my brain is just like, it's a playground for me. But if I'm like taking the same route, I'm like, or how much time is left? The thing about using the same route and the same routine over and over again is that when you have monotony in in any kind of exercise effort, mm-hmm. your body, especially for us, your body starts to look for things to focus on. And when you have nothing, it starts to focus on how it's feeling. Mm-hmm. So you start to notice every little twinge, every little, every, every shock that hits your knees when you take a step when you're running or every rotation, how your quad tightens up when you're on your look to go. Um, and like, those are the things you're thinking about. And that causes you to lose even more sight about what's going on around you, which is really the reason to get out to begin with. And I think this this past week um, was the, the launch of um, uh, was this Pokemon Go which I have not even downloaded at all, but it's amazing how many people I see out there, like on social media, you know, who are like talking about how they actually really like this game. But I saw um, one post out there that I thought was just brilliant. It was uh, um, 
Michelle Obama has been trying for eight years to get kids to get outside more, <laughs> and Nintendo did it in 24 hours. Yeah. And I just thought that was that was great. And it's it's I think it's cool. You know, it's I think the idea of needing to make it just fun is really important. Yeah. For you, so you're, but you're really into your routine now. I really enjoy um, getting out onto a trail, um, especially new trails. What I have, if I have like a whole morning where Leanna's just like, hey, you want to go to the park and run, you know, be back by noon or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, ah, four hours to do what I want. Um, to, yeah, get out and get some new scenery. Um, but the thing with me and with trails, um, I don't get enough of them. So what ends up happening is that it's easiest for me to step out my door and, and run around the block. So I'm running around the same block every single time I go for a run. And then I get that, that itch. Like, Oh, I just, I need a trail. Like we've talked about mountain biking. Like you've done that. Like I'm showing you out on your elliptico every once in a while. You're like, you know, I really just want to get the bike out and find a trail and just unload. Yeah. Like, so it's the same thing. Like it's a, it's a more intense workout. It's, it works your brain differently. It works your muscles differently. Um, and it's not on the pavement, which is completely unchanging except for the occasional unsightly pothole. Like you've got tree roots, you've got berries, you've got animals, mm-hmm. um, you've got people with dogs that should have them on a leash, but don't. So you have that, that, uh, that rush of, like, do I need to turn around at any instant and run for my life? Um, you know, you got bears and wolves and stuff. So it's exciting. Yeah, I was I was on a trail this morning and I saw these three. It was a, it's a new area, and I saw these three. I don't know what what they were, but they were it looked somewhere between like a it was some kind of bird or like maybe an egress or a. But there were like three of them together, and I usually don't see them in pairs. And there's one that was really big, and I was like, "Is this thing going to attack me?" And it, it was awesome. <laughs> like to me, that's fun. I saw those one night um, or one morning when I went out for a run and I got, I actually got some photos of them. Um, they were gray, but similar like stork like birds. Mm-hmm. They were doing like some kind of mating dance and it was hilarious because they had their wings spread out really big. Mm-hmm. We're doing like this. Yeah. Year. And imagine like the, uh, what, what on Sesame street, remember the, the bird doing the pigeon dance. It kind of, that's what Andrew was just doing. <laughs> Um, no, we have a pond in our backyard and we have uh, an egress and then there's a white one. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's like just another type of egress. Uh, we live near a bog that has these, uh, um, these rare, I don't know if they're rare birds or they, they tend to, to migrate towards these certain, uh, uh, natural, uh, areas. And so we have a pond in our backyard and we see these two, they're always like stalking each other and they're like doing this like tiptoe dance all along the pond. And they're always like 20 feet apart. Like when one moves, the other moves. And it's just fascinating to watch, but no, I think that the, the trail riding and, and having fun doing new things, I think is, is, uh, um, it stimulates the brain. It's one of the few places when I used to do more mountain biking was a few places where I really felt like I don't have ADHD, like where yeah, it was, just, you know, what, yeah. And, and it's amazing. The only downside is because I'm sort of an adrenaline junkie when it comes to that stuff. And I have, you know, the spine of a 65 year old man, um, you know, all those jumps that I do, like I will pay the price for it like big time. And so it's like when I'm in the moment, that information doesn't really feed itself to me where I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to jump that stream. I'm going to make it. 
you know, that, that thought of that I'm going to be in bed for the next two weeks icing my back, like, it doesn't occur to me. <laughs> so I sort of avoid those kinds of things um, just because I, I sort of know myself. Yeah. I think the hardest things for me to learn about, and, and maybe I'm still learning them, uh, about trying to create a routine uh, based around exercise and movement is um, a couple of things. Uh, a, as a runner, um, I had to accept that it is okay to walk. Like, it, you're still moving. You're still getting your blood flowing. Um, it, it's okay if you're having an off day and you just need to walk it out and kind of you know, get your own moment, mm -hmm. if you will, and just use it as like a time to relax and reflect instead of a time to push your body. That is okay. So it's okay to walk. And then the other thing too is um, it's the danger in stopping is not just in how it affects our psychological process or our um, physiological processes mm -hmm. in the chemical release and whatnot. But um, one thing that you really don't expect to happen, but almost certainly will, is you start to get down on yourself. Like, you know what? I should have gone for a run today. Mm -hmm. I didn't. And, you know, that also releases a different type of chemical in your brain. And it's very easy to go the next day, like, you know what? I didn't run any yesterday. I'm, I'm not even going to bother running today. And this pizza looks delicious. And then, you know, that downward spiral that I'm always talking about, like, it's, that's the most dangerous part about it. Like you have to accept that there are going to be times where you're going to fall. There are going mm. to be times where you can like kind of be a little harder on yourself than you need to. And rather than focusing on what you didn't do or what you didn't accomplish, um, either because you couldn't, or you just, you didn't have the motivation or the discipline to do so. Like that's the time where you say, well, I should not be simply providing myself with the problem. I need to be a part of the solution. And, you know, I've had times where I've been like, uh, I haven't run in a week. I just don't even care anymore. I've gained 10 pounds, whatever. And I, you know, I'm now, if I get to that point, I'm like, what, what is going on? Like, why don't I just go for a run right now? Yeah. Just go get back into it right now. Like, it's so easy to get sucked into that. Like, I sort of feel that's what I did this past weekend yeah. when I was sort of falling off that, that the, the frequency and intensity, I was like, you know what, this is, uh, why don't I just go for an intense one? And it just felt really, really good. Especially when you're angry, you're angry at yourself or, or whatever. I did that the other morning because angry last, workouts are absolutely the best. Last was last week. Last week I got two runs in. I tried to get three a week. The mm -hmm. week before I like got one. So I went out last Monday. It had been five days since my last run. I'm like, I'm not feeling it. I really like the thought of running the same two mile loop that I'm always running just so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go out as fast as I can and I'm going to run a mile. I'm not even going to do the two miles. Um, so I did this mile loop and it felt, I felt great. I it was like mentally felt great. Like, who cares if I, and I was actually sore from the workout and I did actually go back out on Wednesday and do the normal boring two mile loop. And then I did it again. Monday yesterday and I have to do it again tomorrow. Oh, I need to find another loop. <laughs> you know, I just sort of had this image of what, instead of uh, doing the loop, why don't you just like go through your neighborhood and go like cut in between every neighbor's yard. And so you're sort of like, and wear a ski mask while you do it. No, <laughs> no, don't do that. There was actually, um, and I, I went for a run this morning that this happened back in uh, 
January, February, which surprised me that this happened because it was so cold out, but there was, um, there was a stabbing uh, block over from my house, the next, this next street over from the street that I live on. So this literally happened within 200 yards of my front, my front door. Um, Maybe not that close, but like a quarter mile. Um, Somebody got stabbed and they say it was over a fight over a cell phone. I'm sure it was like a drug deal gone wrong or something like that. And I was on that street running. They said it happened at like four o'clock in the morning. I was on that street at four o'clock in the morning running with my headphones in. Didn't even know anything had happened. My wife was like, if they had seen you running, they could have stabbed that guy and then saw you and gone after you. Like no witnesses, you know, I will find you and I will kill you. Like, and I'm like, for like the next two weeks, I didn't even run. I just, I, I shivered in my garage in fear, petrified at the thought. I put my running clothes on. I'd go out there and be like, look both ways out of my front door. Like, is there any suspicious activity going on? Like, now, you told me that on days that are 20 degrees or warmer, I wear shorts. <laughs> 20 degrees. So we live in, in sort of the same area. You're in, you're in Illinois. Yeah. 20 degrees. You're out there in shorts. Shorts. Now, I still have three layers on my core. I still wear a t shirt with a long sleeve shirt over it and a hoodie over that. I'll have a hat and I'll have gloves. Um, and now, more recently, I also have compression sleeves that go over my shins. So I have shorts that stop just above my knees, but then just below my knees, I've got compression sleeves. So it's kind of like wearing pants. But well, why do you do that? Um, I I don't know if uh, you know if you, if you can see me right now, but I'm kind of a large guy. Um, as a, as a buddy of mine says, who's also a large guy, um, just breathing makes me sweat. So I like. I can go out um, like on a outside of running. If it's 40 degrees or warmer, I'm wearing shorts. I'll still wear long sleeves because I have skinny arms somehow. I don't know if you can see that in my perspective. Um, my legs um, don't get cold uh, very easily. So I just, I'm, I'm a shorts and flip-flops guy until it's snowing or below 40. And when I'm running, it's, you know, below 20. Um, and if it's, and then I have a pair of like running pants. That's almost like running in nothing like wind just gets cuts right through them. I don't even know why I own them. That's so it's not always better to wear pants than shorts. And then um, when it gets below zero, I'll wear those pants and I'll either wear the shorts over them or I'll wear a pair of sweatpants over them. It just sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> I know my, my father-in-law is an avid cyclist and he will ride in like all kinds of weather and you know, it takes him like 40 minutes just to like gear up to go outside. It's so all the base layers and it's like, oh, he forgot a layer. So then he just strip it all down. It's like, oh, I would not have the patience to do that. So in the wintertime, I'm on my recumbent bike in the basement and, <laughs> and you know, it's, that's, that's what I did. I, I don't really like the cold. Um, all right. So. Where do we want to go from here? I, I did want you to share the story about, because uh, we, I think, I don't know if it was around the same time, we were both um, healing from a, an accident. Maybe yours is before mine. Yeah. We just, um, so you like rolled your car? I rolled my car in 2011. And uh, I have a compressions, compression fracture in my spine, um, contusions all along my ribs, my lungs, my chest. Um, and then 
you know, the healing process is long-term for something like that. And I didn't really go with that. And my doctor's like, oh, you probably should stop running like forever. Um, but if you're going to keep running, do physical therapy. And I thought, nah, I don't need physical therapy. I just, I'll sleep it off. And, and, uh, you know, I did the bed resting for two weeks. Um, and then thought I'd just get back right back to life. Hadn't run yet. Um, started going back to work. And then I was, um, like the intelligent man that I am was playing like wrestling with one of my daughters on the couch and she climbed up onto my shoulders and my back went completely into a spasm. And so went to the doctor, got some pain meds and a muscle relaxer. And he's like, so um, it sounds like something that we've talked about before, but you might want to consider physical therapy. And I did. And then during physical therapy, I'm not actually doing a session, but while I was d- doing the physical therapy, I had a, another spasm like right on my neck, uh, right on my spine, basically. And um, I was essentially paralyzed. And, and you know, my wife saw that I was laying in bed stiffer than usual, you know, and crying. And but no sound was coming out of me. Oh, man. Uh, and so. I managed to, with uh, a lot of screaming, um, <laughs> sit up and walk to the car. And then she drove me to the ER and they admitted me. And the doctor was like, your, your neck is like uh, an oak. It's solid. Um, so they gave me some like, fast acting muscle relaxer, like right there. Um, and then some like hardcore stuff to take home for, and I was on it for like two weeks. It was, it was insane. Wow. And you've come back and you're, despite all that, uh, yeah, still uh, two years later, 2013, uh, I completed a Tough Mudder in Wisconsin. It's I a did Tough it, Mudder. I did all the obstacles. Oh, you don't know what a Tough Mudder is? I don't know what a Tough Mudder is. There's one in Rockford every year now uh, for the next what three years. What is it? It's, it's, um, it's like an obstacle course and a half marathon combined with mud, electricity, like you run through. Uh, they, they do like a half one now, so you don't have to do any of the electrical obstacles. Or any of the I think Wait, it's electrical time. obstacles. Yeah. Wait, what? So like the most well-known is when you're going through the finish line, the very last obstacle, there's a bunch of, you run through like a cage. Um, that's like this. It's, it's large. It's like the entry into a football, you know, when the football team runs out onto the field, sure, sure. Run through that little hallway. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like that same dimension. And there are live wires that hang down from the top. What? And they don't give, they don't have a whole lot of juice. It's like sticking a nine volt battery on your tongue, but it's all over your body. Oh, that was so fun. I love doing that when I was younger. <laughs> it's just, I did it. My, my dad used to have fun convincing me to do it when I was younger, but I didn't enjoy it too much. Maybe that's what's wrong with me. As they say. Um, so yeah, you run through these wires and it's just enough to make your muscle twitch. So if you're not, if you don't time it right and you're like mid-step and you catch a, like a wire, your muscle will twitch and you fall over and you fall into six or seven other wires. What? Um, there's okay, another one. That is crazy. Yeah. You, and a lot of it's mud. So there's one you're crawling through mud and water and these wires are hanging down from a fence that you're crawling under. So you kind of have to like army crawl your way through. And you, you're getting hey. shocked every which way you go. Can, can you die? <laughs> I mean... Yeah. I mean, if you have a pacemaker, it might set off the pacemaker or something. But if you're a healthy adult like me, <laughs> not really. That's I think there was one person 
um, documented who died during a Tough Mudder. Um, he, there was another um, one of the obstacles is you jump off of a um, a wall, essentially. You climb up the stairs on the back of this wall, and then you jump into a 16-foot deep hole full of muddy water. Um, and he jumped in. There, were, there, there was nobody below him or anything. They still to this day don't know what happened to him, but he jumped in and just didn't come back out. And they, had, you know, they have divers on standby in case something happens. And the divers went in, they fished him out, and he was gone. They have no idea how it happened. Whoa. He was like the in the peak of health. He was a, a an avid runner, a cyclist, like a triathlete. Wow. Um, but other than that, no one's ever died. Um, no major injuries that I've ever heard of. And so this, the one that you do though, it's it's without the electricity. There, there is one that I've never done without the electricity. The one I so did you did the one with the electricity. Yeah, I did. Okay, uh, so, so you're a little bit crazy. Yeah, right. so mine was eleven miles. Um, I, there were thunderstorms coming through, so they shut down the taller obstacles um, when I got to them. So luckily, I mean, unfortunately, I didn't have to do, I couldn't do those obstacles. <laughs> I'm sure you were very disappointed. Yeah. They, I mean, they have things like monkey bars and stuff like that. There are stations where you have to stop and do 30 push-ups before you can continue. And there's stuff like that. It's not all obstacles. Uh, my favorite is um, this giant dumpster full of ice that you have to dump in jump in and then there's a board um, wrapped in barbed wire in the middle that you it forces you to plunge your whole body under to go under this board and come back up the other side and it's at mile eight so you've already run eight miles and done all these other obstacles you've gotten like a week's worth of full body workout before you hit this so as soon as you hit that ice water your entire body cramps up so then you literally you do your best to climb up the other side and just fall out and then there's a station right there where they have like refreshments if you will and they give you these potassium gels to keep like to help relax the cramps out and it's like chewy candy it's wonderful you should do one you remember the show when we were kids uh double dare with mark, with mark summers vaguely he's like he didn't take the physical challenge like that's sort of what it reminds me of it's like double dare on like i don't know on speed or something <laughs> Yeah, it's the tough motor it's kind of along the same lines of like warrior dash is this like an international or national it sort of thing now. yeah oh wow it and it was either warrior dash or tough motor one of them started in joliet which isn't too far from where you and i mm-hmm. are um now they're both national or international sensations um, what does your wife think about you doing it i actually i asked her if i could do one this year and she said no um because she didn't want me to die so she said i don't want you to kill yourself she said, I think that's I said, reasonable, Andrew. If I get in shape, lose a bunch of weight, get buff, get hot, um, <laughs> how would you feel about me doing one next year? And she said, If you can show me that you can, that she became my parent and said, Now, Andrew, if you can show me that you're responsible enough to stick to a routine, um, and, and so on and so forth, she said that I would be able to, uh, to do one next year. So that's the goal. So, do you have a weight loss goal? Um, I don't have a weight loss goal so much as I have a get in shape goal. Okay. I, I want to be able to what run. shape are you trying to get into? What, just I want less to round. A, <laughs> not as a shape, man. Don't just round. <laughs> I want to be able to run a half marathon by the end of the year or early next year before I do the Tough Mudder, which would be in May of 2017. Um, ideally, my weight would probably be around 180. Um, maybe less. I don't really want less. I was happy. Like you mentioned, um, losing a bunch of weight and then getting it back. Um, I don't remember if, I don't know if you remember our little zoom party, New Year's Eve. 
Um, but I got excessively tanked that night. Um, and the next day I decided that I couldn't have any more alcohol. I, and I did go about three months without any alcohol. Um, but I also weighed myself the next morning and I was at 221 pounds or something like that. And I thought like, I got to lose weight. Um, I joined like a weight loss competition at work and I ended up between then and the end of April, I lost 30 pounds. Wow. I was doing really well. Um, but then the weight loss competition ended and so did my motivation. Oh man. So, so you're motivated by that competition. Yeah. So I got down to about 193 and now I'm at 202. How tall are you? Six foot. Six foot. Okay. All right. Fluffy. <laughs> I, uh, it's good for me to be able to see that I actually have more hair than you do. I, I, um, I take pride in that, which is not much. I, I, I can almost see my reflection in your head. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, uh, you're going to step into the hot seat and uh, receive some coaching. We'll be right back. The sixth season of the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group is almost over. Here's what was said during a Friday session at the end of week eight. I'm just, I'm always grateful for this group. My biggest wins was during study hall. Wins for the week for me. An interesting aha this week. My aha moment. Um, I'm grateful because I feel a little spark back. Discovering that willpower is not your morals, it's your energy. You know, it's, it's managing your energy. And I just feel re-energized. I think I had just completely left my well-being behind. The program has really helped me to start to find some balance so I can be more productive and um, just reinforcing what, what Eric and the whole group has been sharing about getting rest and also eating well and mindfulness. And I got out of work timely and did all my dictations at work instead of bringing them home with me. My biggest wins was during study hall on Wednesday and it relates to timing. I used the timer and I know Eric had said, I don't know how you're going to get these things done in that amount of time. And, uh, and I did, and it wasn't easy, but I just moved. Like, yeah, I'll show you that I'll get, be able to get this unpacking done within 20 minutes. Uh, that's a big learning because I could stand to uh, get through stuff faster. So I'm understanding things take longer and um, I'm communicating even better with my husband. More of an aha for, for my wife was, um, we were at a going away party for a friend of ours, and uh, she noticed I kept talking over people, kept interrupting, and she kind of gave me a look, and instead of it affecting me negatively, I just was like, oh, thanks for telling me. It didn't set me off in a bad mood or anything like that, and, and afterwards she was telling me like how much she's seen this change. The, uh, the other thing is I got my new bullet planner, got it all set up and it's not too elaborate. And I think finally, I feel like it's something that I can use and it's flexible enough for what I need. Registration for fall session begins August 22nd, 2016 and is by appointment only. Schedule your registration call now. The entire process will take you between five to 10 minutes. Just pick a time, answer a few questions and you're done. Go to ADHDrewired.com and prepare to get your ADHD rewired. Want a chance to spin the ADHD Rewired prize wheel to win free coaching, a $50 gift card to Amazon or your preferred app store, or the ADHD Rewired mystery box? We have a three-minute survey that's at ADHDrewired.com. Are you interested in learning how to use Evernote? Do you want to learn how to set up your online calendar or learn more advanced functions? 
Maybe you're interested in learning about various task management apps and you want help learning how to use them or setting them up or maybe password management. Whatever it is that you want to learn, we want to hear from you because we're creating something for you. Go to ADHDrewired.com to complete the survey and enter to win. All right, we are back with Andrew Wilcox, and we are going to uh, we're going to do some coaching. Andrew, tell us uh, what it is that I can help you with. Um, I don't even know if I'm ready for this part. Um, one of the the more difficult things um, that I go through is dealing with my um, like unchecked reaction to stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's actually really interesting coming into today, knowing we were going to have this conversation. My, when I got into my car to go to work this morning, I found that my tire was flat and um, I carpool and I'm the driver. So not only do I not have a ride to work, neither does my coworker. And I noticed immediately when I started pulling forward, I don't know why I didn't notice before I got in the car, it was all the way flat done. Um, and I, you know, I literally immediately jumped into action. I got my hydraulic jack out of the garage. I jacked the car up. I have a full size spare in the trunk. I switched them out, tightened everything down and was on the road in 10 minutes. And like, it didn't even phase me. NASCAR, if you need anybody, Andrew Wilcox. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, it didn't phase me. And I have a universal wheel on the spare, which I hadn't had any experience with before. And even then I'm like, oh my God, there's 10 holes on this wheel and I only have four bolts. Like, how does this work? Like, I didn't, I didn't just give up and and throw a fit. But there are other times where I, I was amazed that I handled it as well as I did, because usually something like that would happen and I would just completely flip my shit and just storm off. Like if, if I were to even look at that tire, I would have had the the strength of fury to lift my car off the jack and just roll it through my front yard. I get so angry. Like, how do you, how do you keep that kind of like anger reaction or, or stress reaction in check? So, so you're sharing this morning story because it was sort of a, a an exception, exception to the reaction. To the okay. All right. Um, no, this is, a, this is a really great question, and we actually this uh, conversation actually came up uh, this morning in uh, one of my coaching groups um, about sort of that, the emotional response. And there was a bunch of different sort of ideas and strategies that were that we were talking about. Um, so I'll, I'll share a few of them with you. Um, one now, do you do you feel it coming, or does do you feel like you go from like zero to ten? Um. I don't feel it coming, but I, I mean, I know when it's happening, Okay, when it's happening, like but by then it's kind of too late. Okay. Um, have you ever practiced any kind of meditation or mindfulness? Um, the closest thing that I've gotten to mindfulness is um, with, with running or with uh, putting myself to sleep at night. I'm focusing on, you know, starting at your toes, flexing your muscles and then relaxing them mm-hmm. and then working. Away so like a progressive muscle relaxation. Other than that, not really. Okay. One of the things that we, that in, in mindfulness-based practices is that we become basically the observer and sort of get curious and we describe what's what's happening, right? So we're not judging it. So if you're getting, if you feel your muscles getting tense, if you feel the anger starting to come, you can just say, there is anger. 
right? Um, you know, there there is me not wanting the situation to happen. So you're really just sort of objectively describing it in a sort of removed way. Um, you might even get curious, like, wow, that's I'm I'm really uh, I'm I'm noticing that I'm heating up quite quickly. Um, and so really kind of checking in and doing sort of those body scans that you were describing um, can be a way for you to sort of like slow down a bit. Okay. Um, now there's some, some other strategies because things like that could be helpful. You know, so if we're using a, a 10 point scale, you know, so 10, like you, you've lost, you've lost it, right? You're like, you are not fit for human consumption and zero. You're, you're cool. Right. You're, and, um, and I've, by, by your response, I'm like, oh, that you get to 10 sometimes. Okay. So once you're past like six, like rational, logical strategies are pretty tough to, to like six, I think it's almost like the, the, the ceiling of once you've gone beyond that, thinking strategies are a lot harder to use, right? It's it, our brain, it kind of it closes the door and, um, and you're sort of on your own in a sense. Right. As you have this very knowing yeah. smile. Like, yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. This, uh, this, this, ladies and gentlemen, is a vigorous nod. <laughs> Made for audio. And um, so with those kind of things, one, when it's with your, your family, with your, with your wife, um, part of it is you want to be able to have conversations when you're not, you know, angry, obviously, as to, to what, it, what is it that you can sort of try to do um, it, instead, right? So if you hit a certain point, it might be good to have like a, a code word that you guys have for each other, right? That, and so maybe for you, if you, if you've lost your cool and you've, you clearly went like to an eight, like immediately some word that basically says, just don't even put on your shoes. Just go for a run. Just go like get that physical energy out. Um, Cause you know, it's like when you're, when you're flooded with those emotions, um, you, you need to get rid of it. Right. Yeah. And so physical exercise is a really important way to do it. Um, yeah. For me, like I, I don't anger easily, but when I do, I'm not fit for human consumption. So I remove myself from any situation and I do try to do some exercise to sort of like get, get off the steam. Um, Cause I can acknowledge when it's happening that, okay, my brain just got hijacked and I don't want to say something that I'm going to regret. Cause I know that any words that are going to come out of my mouth, I'm going to want to take them back. Right? Oh Yeah. <laughs> Right, so it's the so part of that is being able to have a, a a conversation before this happens, an agreement that kind of acknowledges and accepts when I've hit a certain point, I need to remove myself. So to give you an example, so if I'm uh, let's say it's bedtime for the mm -hmm. kids, and uh, so usually it's just two of them, um, Charlotte who is six and Caitlin who is nine. Um. And they, um, I don't want to say they're strong-willed children, but uh, like some other people we know, they tend to have a hard time staying on task. Um, and some, sometimes it's just them not staying on task, but sometimes it's pushback and then not staying on task. So I, I think usually when this is happening is when I've said, hey, um, the older sister gets the, the toothbrushes ready and then she'll tell the younger, she'll tell Charlotte, um, you know, the, hey, the toothbrushes are ready because if they're in there together, they're goofing around and fighting with each other. And that does take me immediately to at least an eight. So that's our routine. Well, Caitlin will go into the bathroom and then she'll, she'll see her reflection. And as any um, of us will know, as soon as we see our reflection in something and 
aren't particularly interested in what we're supposed to be doing, that reflection becomes a source of amusement for us. Absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't change when you get older. Um, yeah. so she's the same way. And then, so, you know, you have that initial frustration, like, Caitlin, okay, you, you've been dancing in front of the mirror for like five or 10 minutes now. Can we please get the toothbrushes ready? It's, it's bedtime. Um, so, you know, it's already started with that. Finally, the toothbrush is ready. Finally, the girls are in their room. They're almost to bed. And then, you know, they start fighting with each other or somebody needs a drink of water. Now I've been dealing with bedtime for 30 minutes. Like when I need to go to bed, mm-hmm. I put my pajamas on, I brush my teeth and I go to bed. It takes like five minutes. Why is it so hard? Why does it take 30 minutes to get into like that's what's going through my head like i know like like right now we're talking i know it's because well it's because they're nine and they're six like duh but you know when you're at that point it's like just go to bed like it's it's you know one hand over the other climb the ladder to the top bunk and get in bed like how hard is that why can't you just do what you're told you had a funny actually blog post about that that i saw about uh like won't you just listen or something like that just listen yeah because that's what it was uh, everyone always said to me when I was a kid, why can't you just listen? But I don't remember any, my dad every once in a while, he was kind of the disciplinarian. My mom mm-hmm. was the cool parent and my dad was like, well, he was also a cool parent, but he wasn't the playful one. He was the, the discipline, the strict one. Um, but he never really flipped out like mm-hmm. I do from time to time. And it's mm-hmm. not it's once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Some years I'll, it'll not happen. I'll miss that flip out season or, or whatever, but it's not often. But uh, when it happens, it's yeah, you, know, you get to that that eight, like you say. Mm-hmm. Like, well, and a couple of things, Andrew. One, I want to say, like, if if you're telling me that it happens once or twice a year, I would say it's it's okay. Like, I have, you know, there was a, there was one time in the last year that um, uh, my son uh, Gibson had a a morning like five thirty a.m. tantrum, uh, like right outside of my bedroom door and i would have one of those not so proud parenting moments <laughs> i i open the door andrew and i go if you're gonna have a tantrum will you at least do it downstairs i'm trying to sleep and i close the door and i was like oh god like i can't believe i did that and uh, i still feel bad about it but i you know i took that opportunity to to you know talk to him about we all make mistakes sometimes and i was feeling <laughs> all right so a couple things um now you said that they, that you're the only one in your family that has ADHD. I'm the only one that's diagnosed. Um, okay, so it, there's possibility that there's some ADHD going on there as well. Potentially, yeah. Okay, that's how I try to handle it, just in case. And I think that's a really great strategy because the things that work for kids with ADHD works for everybody, right? Yeah, just like kids cool. with ADHD, you like need more of those kind of strategies. So if some of the things that your your uh, daughters do is predictable, right? It's predictable that they're going to stand in front of the mirror for 10 minutes making faces, right? So then you want to think about how do we how do we do what's called um, antecedent control. So how do we really set it up understanding what's likely to happen and set them up for success, right? So you can even – if they know that, that if they have their dance party every night in front of the mirror before going to bed, say, all right, let's run upstairs, one-minute dance party, go, and like schedule it in. Right. Make it fun. Make it sort of make it a, a competition in, in a sense. Um, and so if and maybe for them, it's it's you know, brushing teeth and all that stuff. It's boring. 
right? And so, and, you know, they probably want time with you. So they're trying to get your attention, right? So try to, in a way, realize, okay, they're looking to one, stimulate their brain because it actually takes some, some brain stimulation to get through boring sequential tasks, which is, you know, nighttime routine kind of stuff. Um, and I can very much relate to your daughters because it's like, you know, is it really that hard to get to bed? Yes. I'm, I'm no, still I, working on it. Um, <laughs> right. So um, then also you might want to consider asking them, say, hey, you know, it's like when it's not during the time when it's ready to get for bed, when it's like, you know, some other point in the day. So, you know, when we try to get ready for bed, I notice that it's, you, know, you spend, you know, it seems like 10 minutes, you know, dancing in front of the mirror, you know, like, I think, what's, what's up? And just see what they say. There's a, uh, there's a great book that kind of guides you through that whole, the whole process called The Explosive Child by uh, Ross Green. Um, and I'm sorry, it's, it shouldn't be just for kids because it's, it's really just, it's talks about collaborative problem solving, um, really with the, the kind of the ADHD slash brain that has a hard time sort of being flexible. Right. And it really invites, uh, your, the other person or other people to, to in, really engage in the problem solving process. Right. Um, so see if they can be part of the solution. And one of the nice things about the whole model of, of um, collaborative problem solving is that it doesn't assume that your the, the, your first, second, or even third attempt is going to solve the problem. What it does is it says, okay, let's check back in in a day or two, and let's see how is how is it working, right? So the, in the the whole model itself is the the idea of the check in, which I think teaches metacognition. It teaches ourselves, you know, to ask ourselves, how is this working for us, right? Um, so. You may also want to, to put them on slightly varied schedules for getting ready for bed. Yeah, yeah, that's what one thing I definitely had to do already. Um, that was kind of like obvious because, like I was saying, if they go in there together while Caitlin's getting the toothbrushes ready, well, then Charlotte could be in the way, or she might not like particularly how Caitlin went about putting the toothpaste on her toothbrush. You know, and and Charlotte can Charlotte's our little drama queen. Um, She's adorable when she wants to be, but um, when when she doesn't understand or doesn't like something, um, she's not tolerant of it. Like it's it's one of those things. Like it's not just hmm, one of these things just doesn't belong here. It's more like <laughs> oh my god, what are you doing? This is bad. This is really really bad, bad. And then the only word her brain knows for a minute is bad. Like that's not literally what she's saying. Right. No, I get it. Um. And so, I don't know, maybe she has the same issue that I have. Maybe she's just gone straight to 10. <laughs> and so maybe you want to think about, all right, if you were her, what would help you? Yeah. So what we did was now Caitlin goes in and she gets the toothbrushes ready herself. And uh, Charlotte will sit with me and we'll, uh, we'll kind of relax. And I might brush her hair. Well, if we're watching a show, she'll watch the show. She loves American Ninja Warrior. Or as she likes to say, American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> She's really into that kind of stuff. Um, so like, we'll sit and we'll watch that. And then Caitlin will hopefully call out, hey, toothbrush is ready. Um, but then sometimes Caitlin's like not even in the bathroom. Sometimes she's in our bedroom with my wife or she's gone into her room and started reading a book because, oh, toothbrush equals time to read a book. Right. And, and so I think that's that's one of those that sort of like call it faulty assumptions, right? Like 
when she went to go towards the bathroom, her intention was probably to go towards the bathroom. And then something between the direction that was given and the destination, something happened. And we could all relate to that, right? No, not at all. I don't know what you're so talking about. One of the, one of the strategies <laughs> that you might want to try with, with your kids, and this is, I think works for us too as, as adults, is have them like – I'm speaking for myself because I do this myself um, – sing a, some kind of lyric about what you're actually doing and where you're actually going and don't stop singing that until you get there. Right? And so you can say, I want to hear you singing. I'm going to the bathroom and brush my teeth. And I want to hear you singing all the way to the bathroom. I like that. Because what that sort of does is, is it interferes with the other things in our, in our mind that can kind of um, derail the, our working memory. Because consider that it takes working memory to keep that thought online long enough to get to the bathroom. So it sounds like there's some things that might be triggering you a bit that you relate to very much. <laughs> right yeah. um and um and and so sort of acknowledge that and own that and sort of before you even give directions to to your kids kind of ask yourself all right how am i feeling right now right i think that's an important piece too and even if it's taking five or ten seconds just take a few deep breaths before you sort of get into that routine um that also might might help as well should have brought my notebook and write all this down. So this is recorded. So um, I, I can get you the recording of it. And then uh, what we'll I want to do, and I just set this up uh, last night, because as I've been doing more of this coaching on the podcast, I realized I, haven't, I don't have the greatest system for the follow-up, but I do now. So after we hang out from this call, you're going to schedule your follow-up. It's, a, it's a, I think, a five-minute um, follow up to let me know like when uh, um, how it's going and you'll put in there like when you want to follow up by so like, give me a, like an idea as far as like how so right now it's it's uh, July 19th when would you like to kind of follow up with us to, to let us know how, how things are going oh wow um, what what is like the typical uh, time frame that you that you work with like do you give three to five minutes um no um it all depends on, on... <laughs> i did it I'm good. I, 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 yeah I've, i haven't lost my codes we're good <laughs> making progress all right now double that 10 minutes Woohoo! all right um no i don't a couple weeks um what if you want to do a week if you want to do a couple weeks um you know this by the time this airs i don't know it'll be i have no idea i can't can't tell you that right now um <laughs> yeah it's it's I, I figure that stuff as we get closer but this will air in, in probably uh, early August, I'm guessing. Um, so when when would you like to follow up? So it could be uh, it could be one week, it could be two. It doesn't really matter. When would you do two weeks? Because two weeks? they say it takes two weeks to develop a habit. No, it doesn't. That's a bunch of baloney. That is a bunch of pop psychology baloney, and there's there's like no research that it really said that. Yeah, I mean it's it takes as long as it takes. It takes thirty days at very very best. The modial average, I think, is is more like three months. Um, this whole thirty days crap is a bunch of BS. All right. Well, not I that will. I have any strong feelings you about that. <laughs> Damn pop psychology blogs that you know make us all feel unworthy because our habit didn't stick after thirty days. Breathe. Okay. <laughs> No, I think I think two weeks will still be good because that'll give me time to miss a few days before I'm like I really got to start paying more attention to this because I got to be talking to Eric about this again in two mm -hmm. weeks. 
So, <laughs> All right. So you're going to schedule another uh, call with me um, when we get off this call and you'll schedule that right away. Uh, so it's on the books. Okay. It's like a five call, five minute call. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'll send you the link uh, to that. Uh, do you want to do it on messenger? Okay. Okay. And, uh, you know, and I'm keeping all of this stuff in because I want people to also really understand how coaching and accountability works. Um, and as we figure out together, right, what's the time frame that's going to work for us? What kind of accountability and follow-up do we want? Um, and then depending on how it goes, it's all just feedback, right? It doesn't go well, it's feedback. If it goes well, it's feedback, right? So it's, it, that's the way I sort of look at, at uh, anytime we meet or don't meet our goals. This is all feedback. And if we use it, that's the way we can really help get our ADHD rewired. I see what you did there. Yeah, you like that? So, Andrew, tell us how we can, can reach. First of all, thank you for, for being vulnerable and, and sharing uh, um, you know, this with us and, uh, and other stories as well. Where can people reach you, find your blog? Um, and then we're going to say goodbye. Um, the easiest direction probably to give is going to be to go to the blog. It's uh, www.eatlivedreamadd.com dot wordpress dot com i'm pretty sure <laughs> the link will be in the show notes thank you <laughs> and probably if you google eat what what was it eat, eat live dream i want to see eat pray love that's not <laughs> it, his blog will be in in the show notes and uh and as i said in the beginning of the show um i'm not much of a blog reader but i really enjoyed reading andrew's blog um, so I definitely would check it out. And, you, and then there's, there's a link there too for the Facebook page and the Twitter. That's uh, my personal Twitter and then the Eat, Live, Dream, ADD Facebook page as well. So you can kind of branch out from there. So if you're not really a blog reader, but you still want to reach out, then there's always Facebook and Twitter. All right. And what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at Drewzilla. At Drewzilla. It's at Zilla Drew because I put in drew zilla as my name so they flipped it and so it's at zilla drew you just confuse everybody check the show notes <laughs> and you're again thank you so much no thank you all right bye-bye turn good intention into amazing actions with the adhd rewired coaching and accountability group this virtual video-based group coaching program meets three times a week improve your productivity develop better habits experience the true power of supportive accountability from members of our own tribe learn grow and connect learn more at adhdrewired.com hope to see you there that's adhdrewired.com and prepare to get your adhd rewired this has been eric tivers and i want to thank you for listening to another episode of adhd rewired if you're new to the show welcome we are more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. You can learn more about us at ADHDrewired.com. You can find additional resources for each episode, join our private Facebook group, learn about the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group, join the email list, schedule a free consultation with me to learn more about my services, or even schedule with me to be a guest on this podcast. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. 
Season 7 of the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group starts September 12th. Supercharge your productivity. Experience the power of group coaching the ADHD Rewired way. Go to ADHDrewired.com and click the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group graphic for more information and to schedule your free registration and screening call with me. Don't let this season pass you by. Did you know that I give talks and all-day workshops? If your school, business, or organization, or conference planning committee are looking to hire that person to give an incredible, educational, inspirational talk on ADHD, whether you're looking for a keynote speaker or an all-day workshop, look no further than ADHDrewired.com and click on Talks at the top of the page. Don't just be a passive listener. Be an active member of the ADHD Rewired community or on Facebook. You can like our page, but submit your request to join our free and growing community. Watch for a message from me on Facebook because I screen everybody before they come into the group. Help spread the word. Hit the share button right there in your podcast player, and you could send this to a friend, post it on Facebook, Twitter, or your favorite social media channel. And if you're in any other ADHD-based group online, don't be shy about mentioning this podcast. We're all looking for resources. Tell your clients about it. Tell your therapist or coach about it. And tell them that their clients will like it. And if you go to a local support group like Chad, mention this podcast at your next meeting. And if you want to let me know how you shared it, send me a message at ADHDrewired.com or message me on Facebook or Twitter. I'm at Eric Tivers. You can also help people learn about this podcast by leaving an honest rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Go now or set yourself a reminder, and then, after you do it, give yourself a pat on the back, or maybe even a gold star. You deserve it. You can help ADHD Rewired get a new and improved website by checking out my sponsors and affiliates, Zoom, Audible, and Amazon. If you're a coach, you gotta check out Zoom. You and your clients will love it. Have you ever seen one of my webinars? I use Zoom for that too. Go free, go pro, or go webinar. But please, tell Zoom to pay me by going to erictivers.com slash Zoom or click the Zoom logo at the bottom of ADHDrewired.com. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a free 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash ADHDrewired. And if you love shopping as much as I do, which is not at all, then you probably shop the way I do, and that's on Amazon. Next time you go to Amazon, use the Amazon search portal at ADHDrewired.com. A small percentage of your purchase will go to support this show, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Production support, audio mixing, editing, uploading, and show notes, which you can find at ADHDrewired.com, comes from... Tom Nardone. Check out his inconsistently released but consistently entertaining podcast, The Tom Nardone Show. Tom blogs at tomnardone.net, which is also where you can pick up a copy of Chasing Kites, a true story about Tom growing up with ADHD when nobody knew about ADHD. Join Tom as he shares stories from his childhood through adulthood. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll gasp. You might hold your children tight, and you might get strange looks by anyone sitting around you. Get your copy of Chasing Kites at TomNardone.net. 
available in print and as a digital download. This has been Eric Tivers reminding you that if you want to be more productive, prioritize self-care and don't sacrifice sleep. And as long as you keep starting what you've already started, you'll continue getting closer to finishing what is not yet done. Until next time.